Welcome to the weekly podcast of Valley Church. I pray that this message will fill you with the hope of the gospel and will help you follow Jesus today. If you would like to check out more resources or donate to this ministry, visit valleychurchwv.com. Now let's tune in to this week's message. Today we're going to be continuing our series in Psalm chapter 96. So if you have your Bible or your phone with you, go ahead and turn there. Psalm chapter 96. And I, I titled this message, What Your Words Reveal. Pastor Jonathan read right after the first um, song this morning. He read through this whole psalm. This is the psalm we're going to be looking at today. Um, what your words reveal. And the answer to that that we're going to find today in this psalm is that your words reveal your worship. Your words reveal your worship. So if you don't remember anything else from the message this morning, take that with you. Ponder that. Meditate on that. Your words reveal your worship. Well, I want to begin by asking you this question, so you answer it for yourself. What is something or someone that you love to talk about? Something you're really passionate about. You could talk about it for hours, for days, for weeks, for the rest of your life, and you'd never get tired of talking about it. Maybe for some of you, it's sports. Maybe we have some diehard sports fan. Any of you follow the WVU Mountaineers? Okay, yeah, we have a few out there. You, you love to talk about sports. You check stats. You go to games. You live and breathe sports. You cheer on the Mountaineers. You could talk about it forever, and you'd never get sick of it. Maybe some of you love music, and you could talk about music. You love checking out the latest releases. You love um, teaching yourself how to play different musical instruments, looking for new songs all the time. Maybe you love to talk about music. Maybe there's some of you who love to golf. Do we have any golfers out there? No? Oh, there's Wayne. I was looking for you. <laughs> okay. Well, I know Wayne likes golf. Maybe he would love to talk to you about golf, okay? I asked Jonathan this question about myself when we were on vacation earlier last week, and I said, what is something that you hear me talking about a lot? And he said, well, I hear you talk about our kids a lot, which is true. I talk about my kids all the time. We have four kids, and I could talk to you about my kids forever. Like, I love talking about them. But then I loved what he added because he got like a little smile, like a little smirk. He was like, but you also love to talk about me. <laughs> and he's not wrong. I do. I absolutely love my husband. So he got those two right. And I thought, you know, there's another thing that I love to talk about that I'm very passionate about. And it is the church. I love to talk about the church. Now, sometimes it's hard to view like what Jonathan and I do here as a job because we love it so much. But then I remind myself, you know, sometimes I'm guilty of talking a lot about the church, but not about the head of the church, Jesus Christ. I'm too busy talking about the ins and outs of the church, all the programs and ministries, 
but I don't always talk as much about Jesus. And the church was his idea. He's the creator, the founder of the church. What do you spend your days talking about? It reveals a lot about you. Your words reveal your worship. So as we look at Psalm chapter 96, I want to give you a little context for this psalm. If you'll notice, when you turn there, a lot of the psalms give the author who wrote it. Psalm 96 does not. And so we don't know for sure who wrote it, but most scholars and commentators believe that this psalm was written by King David. He wrote a lot of them, and the reason for that is because this psalm can be found almost word for word in the book of 1 Chronicles, chapter 16. In 1 Chronicles 16, David is singing a song of thanks before the Lord, and in the middle of this song is this whole um, chapter, Psalm 96, right in the middle of it. Now, to give you a little context for Psalm 96, if we're going with, yeah, it's pretty clear that David was probably the author of this. Let's, let's see what was going on here. In 1 Chronicles 16, the Ark of the Covenant, maybe you've never heard of that before, but it was this um, box that symbolized God's presence among his people Israel. It traveled with his people Israel to the promised land. And so the Ark of the Covenant is making its way into Jerusalem, finally, into the center of the city. And David is king at the time, and he's so excited. It says in 1 Chronicles 15, verse 16, that David commanded the chiefs of the Levites to appoint their brothers as the singers who should play loudly on musical instruments, on harps and lyres and cymbals to raise sounds of joy. Now, in case you're wondering, like this morning during worship, we have cymbals. Logan does an awesome job on the drums. We love to sing loudly because as we look through scripture, oftentimes that is what the people of Israel were doing when they worshiped the Lord. They used several instruments then if we move on to the end of that chapter, it says in 28, so all of Israel brought up the Ark of the Covenant. Remember, they were exciting, excited because this was a symbol of God's presence among them. It says they brought up the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord with shouting to the sound of the horn, the trumpets, and the cymbals, and they made loud music on harps and lyres. And as the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, verse 29, came to the city of David, Michael, who is David's wife, Michael, the daughter of Saul, looked out of the window and saw King David, her husband, dancing and celebrating. And it says she despised him and her heart. In 2 Samuel chapter 7, you can also read of this account. It says that King David was king at the time. It talks about how he took off his royal robe as the Ark of the Covenant was getting ready to enter Jerusalem. And he laid it aside. 
because he wanted to become like the rest of his people, Israel. He wanted to be on their level. Even though he was king, he wanted them to remember, I'm just your earthly king, but I don't want to distract you or get in the way of you worshiping your ultimate king. So he laid aside his royal robe, and it says he was dancing before the Lord and celebrating, but his wife despised him. Church, can I encourage you? If someone worships differently than you, maybe they raise their hands, maybe they're moving in the pew, or sometimes on Sunday mornings we have kids who will come up front and they'll twirl around during the worship set Do not despise someone or criticize them because they worship God differently than you do. You see, what we're going to find in this psalm, actually we're going to turn there right now, is that in Psalm chapter 96 and verse 1, David is calling his people Israel. In verse 1 he says, Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. We're going to stop right there because David was reminding them, you have an audience of one, one person, the Lord, you sing to the Lord. You don't sing to those around you. Sometimes when we come to church, we sing songs over ourselves, but we always sing to one person, to the Lord. Now, if we know anything about King David when he was younger, As a shepherd boy, before he ever became king, he loved music. You can read in the Old Testament how David would be out in the fields with his sheep, with his harp, singing, writing new songs to the Lord. And and he's telling Israel here, sing to the Lord a new song. Now, I love old songs, but scripture never, never actually tells us sing to the Lord old songs, But it does tell us over and over in the Psalms, sing to the Lord a new song. Why is that important? It's important because in Lamentations chapter 3, it says God's mercies toward you are new every morning. So if his mercies towards you and I are new every morning, we should always be excelling in our praise of him. We should always be thinking up new words and new ways that we can express our praise to the Lord. And you know, I'm really thankful that here at Valley Church, our worship team is not afraid to teach us new songs. They are preparing you for eternity. They are helping you to excel in your praise and your worship of the Lord. David goes on to say, sing to the Lord all the earth. Verse 2, sing to the Lord, bless his name. If you noticed every time, well, in this whole psalm, that the word Lord is written, it's written in all capital um, letters. That's referring to God's covenant Hebrew name, Yahweh. David is saying, sing to Yahweh, our covenant-keeping God. He says, bless his name. Remember the power behind his name. 
tell of his salvation from day to day. This is, this is Israel remembering that Yahweh had saved them from their slavery in Egypt. He had gone before them in all their battles to bring them to the promised land. David is saying, tell of it. Tell of his salvation from day to day. Church, we need to be reminded of that. The first time, many of you, for me, that I received Jesus as my Savior, it doesn't stop on that day. We are told to speak of his salvation from day to day. Don't let it stop with you. In verse 3, David goes on to say, Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the people. So David's saying, speak it, sing it. Your words are going to reveal your worship. Then he goes on in verse 4 to say, why should we do this? Verse 4, David says, for great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. Verse 5, for all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Now I found the end of verse 4 interesting that David would remind them he is to be feared above all gods. When God gave his people Israel the Ten Commandments in Exodus chapter 20, Do you know what the very first commandment was? Listen, in Exodus 23 through 5, God said, You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. The very first commandment God gave his people was, don't put anything before me. And it ends with, God saying, I am a jealous God. Normally when we hear that word jealous, it has like a negative thought to it. But this is a positive thing. God is saying, I'm jealous for you, for your worship, because I love you. And I have redeemed you and I have saved you. Don't put anything else before me. He goes on. To say, for all the gods of the people, in verse 5, are worthless idols. And if you look that up in the Hebrew, the word worthless idols, it literally means nothing. They're nothing. Nothing compares to who the Lord is. Because David says, the Lord made the heavens. What idol, what carved image can say that they made the heavens? None. No one else can say that except for Yahweh, the Lord God. David goes on to say in verse 6, Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. You know, um, 
I love to be out in creation because when I'm out in God's creation, I see his splendor and his majesty on display. And, and in my short you know, life lived here on the earth so far, I feel really lucky because, or blessed, I should say, because I've lived in some beautiful places. When we were up in Traverse City, Michigan, for those couple years, our family liked to go hiking on the Sleeping Bear sand dunes, really high sand dunes that overlooked Lake Michigan, and you would see the waves crashing. And I would just be in awe of the splendor and the majesty of who our God is. But can I say, after living in West Virginia for almost 10 years, there's kind of a reason it's called almost heaven, right? Because, well, that was an absolute beautiful place. I, it takes my breath away almost every day when I sit out on my front porch or when my neighbor lets me walk up the hill behind our home and he has the most beautiful view of the valley and I see the splendor and the majesty of God on display right here in West Virginia. Go outside this week. This afternoon, soak in the splendor and the majesty of who God is. The end of verse 6 says, strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. Now, normally when you hear those two words, you don't hear them together. Like if something is strong, it's not always necessarily beautiful. Or if something is beautiful, it's not always necessarily strong. But David is saying, God is both in one he is strong. He is beauty. That, that's in his sanctuary. Now David moves on in verse 7. So notice we started off this psalm with David repeating a word three times. The words sing, sing, sing in verses 1 through 2. And then verses 7 through 8 where we are, he's going to use this word ascribe three times. And the word ascribe is really just like the word give. David says, ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. The beginning of that verse, when it says, O families of the peoples, some scholars believe that this is a direct fulfillment of the covenant promise that God made with Abram back in Genesis chapter 12. God said in Genesis 12, 2 through 3, when he was talking to Abraham, he said, I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Now, if you remember the context of this psalm, who David is talking to, he's talking to thousands of of Israelites. Hundreds of years before, God had made this covenant promise to Abram saying, Abram, you're going to be a father of a great nation. And it seemed crazy at the time, right? Because Abram had no kids and he and his wife had been trying to have kids. But when Abram was a hundred and his wife like 90, I think Sarai was, God blessed them with their first child. He was faithful, not in their timing, but in his timing. And now we find hundreds of Israelites praising and worshiping him. 
David's saying, give to the Lord, O families of the people. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. And, and we already know that all glory and strength already belongs to the Lord. So why would David say that? Well, sometimes it's good for us to recognize and be reminded of his glory and strength ourselves. So I think that's why David was reminding them, remember to give him glory and strength. He has it all, but remind yourself of that. Verse 8, David says again, ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. So like I said, David has said this word, ascribe, three times. He said the word, sing, three times at the beginning. And you kind of sense this urgency from David to his people. And um, some, some commentators believe that this could also be just a subtle reference to the Trinity, to our triune Godhead, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Now the second half, David says, bring an offering and come into his courts. Now often the people of Israel were told in the Old Testament to bring sacrifices and offerings to the Lord. And, and the sacrifices were often with lambs, with different animals. But this offering was a bloodless offering. If you look it up, it was called a thank offering. So it could have referred to oil or wine or grain. So this is what David was telling his people, come into his courts, bring an offering. Now, if we think of that today, what are some things that we as God's people, his church, can ascribe to the Lord, can give to him? Here's a few examples we can ascribe or give to God our time, our attention, our worship, our surrender, our service, our resources. And I was reminded as I was studying this psalm that, you know, often we forget that our going to church is not all about receiving from the Lord. But actually, more importantly, it's about giving to God in response to who he is and what he has done for us. Remember, church, that you don't just come to church to receive something for yourself. No, it's about coming to give God the worship, the honor, the praise that he deserves. Now, sometimes I know that we don't always feel like worshiping, right? Like sometimes you come on a Sunday morning and, I mean, this has been me before. I'll just be honest with you. Sometimes you come and you feel like, I don't know, I'm just, I'm not really feeling it today. So I'll just sit and I'll let the worship team sing for me, but I'll, I'll be there, but I won't really engage in worship because I'm just not feeling it. But can I encourage you, be careful with your feelings, because it's not about you, and it's not about me. It's about God, and he deserves your worship. So even if you come to church and you don't feel like singing, you've had a horrible week, you open your mouth, and you speak 
the worship out. You sing the words out because your words will reveal your worship. It's not about you and I. It's about him. It's about giving him what he deserves. In verse 9, David says, Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. The word holy means to be set apart. David says, Remember the holiness of God. Tremble before him all the earth. Now, David wasn't saying when you come before God to worship him, be scared of him. No, David was just saying, remember to have a healthy respect, a healthy fear and awe and a reverence for who God is. So the first part of this, David was kind of talking to his own people, Israel, in the first few verses. Then he's going to move it on in verse 10 to not just keep it among themselves. But in verse 10, he's going to say, declare his glory among the nations. Verse 10, David says, say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Your words are going to reveal your worship. Don't just keep it here. We got to take it to the nations. And that reminds me of Jesus, some of his last words before he left this earth. In Matthew 28, 19, Jesus told his disciples, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Don't just keep the good news to yourself. We're supposed to take it to the nations. In Acts 1.8, Jesus said, you start in Jerusalem, take it to Jerusalem, but you move out from there. Then you take it to Judea, and then you take it to Samaria, and then you take it to the remotest part of the earth. And what are we to tell the nations? The Lord reigns, right? Amen. You know, there are so many people in our world right now that think they reign, that they're the king, that they sit on the throne, but they're not. You and I know that. We need to tell the nations the Lord reigns. Some people get worried like, our world is going down the drain. I don't know who's on the throne. Yes, we do. God is on the throne. He's never left. He is reigning, but we got to tell that to the nations. We got to go even outside of our valley, outside of our comfort zone. Speak it, declare it. Your words will reveal who you worship. The end of verse 10, David says, Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. It won't be moved because God holds the world in his hand. He will judge the peoples with equity. Now this last section, David goes from his community, his people, Israel, then he says, take it to the nations. And then at the end, he's going to move it to all of creation. Verse 11, David says, let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar in all that fills it. Let the field exult in everything in it. Then shall all the trees of the forest sing for joy. They're going to sing for joy. Did you know that creation itself is waiting 
to be set free. In Romans 8.21, it says, creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption. It's under this curse of sin, but it's waiting to be set free. Creation, it says here, will rise up and praise their creator. I love the end of verse 12 because It says all the trees of the forest are going to sing for joy. And I tried to find a tree this morning as a prop to have on stage. I couldn't find one. But when you drive home today, there's all kinds of trees outside. And I just want you to look at the trees, maybe even in your front yard, and maybe let it convict and challenge you. If the trees of the forest are going to sing for joy, then you and I can open our mouths and sing louder in worship than a tree can. Let that challenge you to worship our creator. Verse 13, they're going to sing before the Lord, for he comes, for he comes to judge the earth. David says that twice. He's reminding them it's going to happen. He's coming. God is going to come. He's going to bring justice with him. He's going to make everything right. He says, he will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in his faithfulness. David talks of two judgments here, one in righteousness for the whole world and one in faithfulness for his people. And when I think of that day, God is coming. We're all going to have to stand before him someday, and we're going to be judged. And it reminds me of Romans 3, verse 10. Romans 3, 10 says, There is none righteous, no, not one. So that sounds like we have no hope because it says he's going to judge the world in righteousness. Well, that just pushes you and I out of the picture because I'm not righteous. You're not righteous. It says none is righteous. So it sounds like we have no hope. But God knew that. And that's why he sent his son Jesus. In 2 Corinthians 5.21, it says, For our sake he meaning God, made him, referring to his son Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him, Jesus Christ, we might become the righteousness of God. Church, that is the gospel. We don't deserve this righteousness, but God knew that we needed it. So he sent his perfect son down here to this earth to take your sin, my sin, all the wrong, selfish things that we do upon himself. He died on the cross. He gave his perfect blood for you. And on the third day, he rose again, victorious over death and sin once for all so that we might become the righteousness of God. You see, God is our judge, but Jesus is our righteousness. Have you received the righteousness of Christ? Because we're all going to stand before God someday, 
and I know that when I stand there, I have no good thing, no righteousness in and of myself, but I can claim the righteousness of Jesus at that moment before God the Father and say, I have no righteousness in and of myself, but I have Jesus. And I want you, all of you, to be able to say the same thing someday for yourself. So if you have not received the righteousness of Jesus Christ, let me encourage you with these verses. There's hope. And scripture tells you what you need to do. In Romans 10, 9, it says, If you confess with your mouth, use your words that Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's a guarantee. It's a promise. God says, use your words, confess that Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart that I raised him from the dead, and you will be saved. Verse 10 goes on to say, For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. I could lead you in a prayer right now, and you could repeat words after me. There's nothing special or magical about them, but I actually am not going to do that. Because I want you to use your words. If you have never confessed to Jesus As Lord, if you've never asked him to save you, don't leave here today without doing it. Use your words to confess Jesus as your Lord. Ask him for his righteousness. And he says, if you do, you will be saved. No one can say the words for you. You have to do it on your own. Remember, God is your judge but Jesus is your righteousness. Praise the Lord for Jesus. This whole psalm, David is reminding his people Israel, your words will reveal your worship. And I asked you a question at the beginning, who or what do people hear you talking about in your daily life? But I could also ask the question, Does what you say reveal that you worship God alone? And I've been convicted of this myself. You know, I can't stand up here and teach you or preach to you if I've not been challenged on my own. I I have, and I think one of the reasons that we don't share Jesus with others is because we don't spend the time with him like we should. Because you talk about those that you spend time with. That's why I talk about my kids. I talk about my husband because I spend time with them. Am I spending time with Jesus? If I'm spending time with him, then I will naturally be speaking about him. So challenge yourself with that today. One last thing David said as he closed this out, he said, God's going to judge the peoples in his faithfulness. 
There's also another judgment coming, one called the judgment seat of Christ for all followers of Jesus, disciples of him. Some call it the Bema seat judgment, and it's where we as followers of Jesus will be held accountable for our deeds, how we lived in faithful obedience to him. And I was reminded this morning, I was praying over my message, and I felt like I was missing something. And in the middle of my prayer, God revealed to me, you are missing something precious. Remind them that true worship begins with repentance. And repentance isn't just something for the unbeliever. It's for the believer as well. It's a daily choice that we make to say no to sin, to say no to self, and to faithfully, obediently follow after Jesus. It means nothing to just say words or sing words to Jesus. We have to live in faithful obedience to him. Our actions have to follow what we say. Church, will you stand with me as we close? Will you bow your heads with me? I was challenged a lot by the the weightiness, I guess you could say, of this Psalm, chapter 96. These words are so powerful. And as it challenged me, precious are your words revealing your worship. I want you to ask yourself that right now. Do my words reveal that I worship God alone? And if you recognize I haven't been living in faithful obedience to him. My words have not been revealing that I worship him, but I want them to. I want them to, but, but I need you to pray for me. Would you just slip your hand up in the air right now? If you want your words to reveal your worship, you want to live in faithful obedience to him, Slip your hand up in the air. I want to pray for you. I see you out there. Thank you for choosing to follow Jesus with me. Let me pray for you. Father God, you see each person here. You see the hands that are raised. God, it is our desire as your followers here at Valley Church to live in faithful obedience to you. God, we want our words the songs we sing to reveal that we worship you alone. And so, God, I ask that you would pour out an extra measure of your Holy Spirit over your church today, over these followers of you that want to live in obedience. God, grant them the strength to say no to sin, to say no to self, to live each day and repentance before you because, Lord, we know that we can bear fruit for your kingdom when we live daily in repentance. Thank you, God, for the righteousness of Jesus Christ on our behalf. And as we close this time in worship, God, may these, these words to these songs as we sing be a sweet sound in your ear. In Jesus Christ's name we pray, amen. Hey, church, we're going to close with a worship song that I think we all know pretty well here, Great Are You, Lord. And the words to that song talk about it's your breath, God, in our lungs. The only reason we can 
breathe is because you give us breath. And so we're going to pour out our praise before you. And so I just, I encourage all of you this morning, whatever it looks like for you to worship freely, if you need to come forward to the front, go out into the aisle so that the pews aren't in your way, worship the Lord in the splendor and majesty of who he is. He deserves all of our worship. Thank you for listening to this week's message from Valley Church. If you are impacted by today's teaching or made a decision to follow Jesus, we would love to hear from you, pray for you, and walk with you. To connect with us, visit valleychurchwv.com. There you will find resources on following Jesus and information about how to partner with us here at Valley Church as we seek, serve, and send disciples of Christ.